I cannot relate to save my life, but I thought I'd just try it. If you haven't heard already, my beautiful country, Zambia, just had presidential elections and by a staggering majority vote, the seventh president elect is His Excellency Hakainde Hichilema. This is significant in so many ways because many thought he would never rise to the highest office in the land just because of his tribal heritage. That is why I love today's conversation about tribalism with the author of Roots, Ms. Mono Chungu. You are listening to the Africana Woman Podcast. I am your host, Chulu. Every week, I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation, and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie. It may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. Whilst the Zambian presidential elections 2021 are monumental in the fight against tribalism, there are still many people who are not happy by this turn of events especially the older generation. I have heard my fair share of tribal stereotypes, which are reinforced by comedians at public gatherings, or it is the way we greet each other in asking, where do you come from? Which tribe are you? Or our national registration cards, which require us to register our village and chief. Let's keep it real. That system is archaic. There are generations who have never been to a village and hence resort to lying on official government documentation. Many Zambians will not admit that there is a caste system based on tribal lines where those from the bigger tribes think they are more important than others. And quite frankly, you wouldn't even notice it because you're speaking from a place, you're operating from a place of privilege. Ms. Mono Chungu helps us dissect this topic. I met Mono through a partnership I did with Unilus. Later on, to my surprise and delight, I discovered that she was also an author and had just published her first book called Roots. It is a, an anti-tribalist autobiographical book that reveals the author's experiences as a tribal hybrid. Hence the reason why I have been saying Ms. Mono Chungu. Um, I really want to make sure that you understand that her name is not because of marriage. That is her name because of her roots. As you listen, especially Zambians, Africans, guys, be honest with yourself and identify where you may have some lingering stereotypes. Enjoy the conversation. Mono Namwezia Chungu is a passionate, persistent, and patriotic writer. She has a double major degree in journalism and media studies and English literature, which she obtained from Rhodes University, South Africa. She has been published by 10 media companies locally and in South Africa. She is passionate about anti 
tribalism and aspires to be recognized as an advocate for tribal unity in Zambia. Now, I will add, she has just published her first book and it is called, I'm like doing a total thing here. If you can <laughs> see me on um, the video, go to YouTube. She's published a book called Roots, guys. And it is such a good book. You should get it. And I am so excited to welcome Mono to the Africana Woman podcast. And it's such an honor. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. So where to even start? I have been reading your book and it's been very interesting. I think, you know, especially somehow I think we take for granted that just because we're in the same country that we are having the same experiences, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I was reading through how you describe, you know, you are a bi-tribal individual. So you, you know, you, your parents are from two different tribes and even your name describes that. And the experiences that you had, and even in the book, you talk about how your experience from your brother is very different, you know, mm -hmm. out there in the world. And I just wanted you to expand a little bit more about what it's what it has meant to you to live as you know to grow up as a bi-tribal individual in Zambia yeah um well it's been interesting I think I only started noticing when I was a bit older because obviously when you're in the home no one really I mean it's the names that you've been given so I didn't really have much of an experience within my family setup but I found that when I started going to school and when I would start using the bus especially when I'd used a public transport there'd be a lot of people you know, asking me questions like, how are you Mono Chungu? People giving their assumptions of what they think of my name, just for me being Mono, they'll make assumptions that I'm Tonga and mostly biased uh, assumptions. And yeah, it's, I, I guess it's just been, since I started going out on my own without my parents, then I started to experience all of these things and it's reduced now, but I used to get this literally every week when I was on the bus, when I was at the hospital and so on and so forth. Yeah. So tell us what type of things have you heard people say? Mm. Well, the first, I think the first stereotype that I ever encountered was a Bemba one, that Bembas are thieves and that Bembas talk too much. And I remember as a child using that to my advantage because I was very talkative in class. So when the teachers would tell my parents like, oh, she talks too much, I'd say, but I'm Bemba. But as I grew older, obviously, then I started to say, it's actually not a Bemba thing because my dad, who was Bemba, was actually quite a quiet man. So I've, ha I've heard that. I've heard that Tongas are selfish, which I heard much later in life. I think when I was a, like almost a teenager, um, I've heard uh, even of other tribes, Lozis are also selfish. I've heard um, Mamboes are slow learners. It, the list can go on and on. There's so many across the board. There's the ones of Easterners naming their children after anything. You know, it's, it's things like that. I think especially because I'm interested in the topic, I do quite a bit of research. When I hear something, I keep it in my mind. I write it somewhere and just to, you know, keep myself wondering, like, are people really like this? You know, so I think, yeah, that's my experience with, with that. So when you were deciding that you were going to write a book, what, um, what was your process like? What was your process in deciding what the subject matter would be? And, you know, just 
I know a lot of people want to be writers, um, yeah. but then there's just getting over that hump, yeah. <laughs> whether it's the first letter or word that you have to write. But what was your process like? So when I first decided to write a book, um, at the time I was working as a journalist at the Post newspaper and I had interviewed an author who was my age. We had similarities. She was also interested in journalism and all of that. So she had written an autobiography and she encouraged me to do the same. She said a teacher had told her that the easiest topic to write about is yourself. But at the time, I mean, I, I was, if I'm not mistaken, I was probably 20 there wasn't much about me that I could write. Like who's going to be interested in my life? I don't, ha I haven't done that much anyway. So I thought if I'm really going to make it an autobiography, I need to write about something I'm passionate about. And in Zambia, my biggest passion is anti-tribalism because of the experiences that I have. I often hear, try to challenge people's thinking like surely not all Tonga people are like that. Surely not all Bemba people are like that and present myself or people who I know um, as examples. So that topic was what came easily to me. When I started writing the book, I was in my first year of unit, sorry, my second year of university. So um, being, I went to school in South Africa. So a lot of people are, you know, they're, they're quite, they're, a lot of people are xenophobic towards me. And because of that, I was very passionate about teaching them about Zambia, but also just being in a foreign country. You want to tell people about your country because I really love Zambia. So I wanted people to know about how beautiful Zambia is, how friendly the people are. And as a comparison to South Africans at the time, because at the time I didn't know many except my friends who were friendly. So I'd give all of those examples. So even the first chapter, to me, it came so easily because I was just writing about the beauty of Zambia in my eyes and just it was then that I noticed that really out of that beauty, we are ugly because of our tribalism. We are friendly people, but we are mean towards each other. So that's how I came up with the topic and that's how I flowed with it. Mm. So I just want to um, just before I ask my next question, you know, what I really liked about reading your book was just the way you have painted the different um, scenes and scenarios in Zambia, whether you're in Livingston or whether, you know, you're driving from Kabwe and there's all those markers along the way, or, you know, you, you're, you know, by the tree, you know, the monument tree, or, you know, I just found it so fascinating because I'm usually between Musaka and Kabwe. So I was like, yeah. ah, like, I know this place and you know, when you're reading things, you don't usually, um, you don't, you don't see yourself in those, those spaces, you know? So it's so refreshing to yeah. read a book and be like, oh, I actually know these places. I've actually been here instead of just reading about, oh, the prairies. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah true. So um, I really did appreciate that. And I, I just love the, the, the mental imagery that you, you brought to the book. So I think I want to dig a little bit deeper about, you know, when we talk about tribalism in Zambia, like you said, um, a lot of people come to Zambia and they'll say, oh, wow, the, the Zambian people are really friendly. Even I think even when I was abroad, you know, I'd always be saying, you know, Zambian people are so friendly. They're so friendly. But like you just said, we're friendly to people on the outside. We're friendly to foreigners, to um, people that are not from Zambia, but then to ourselves. That doesn't necessarily translate. Sure. And I want to explore with you, why do you think we got here? Like, why are we here? Um, I think maybe it could be 
in, in my research, and I could be wrong, it's from stories from my grandparents and so on and so forth. Before Kaunda became president, people lived in their provinces. So Northerners lived in the Northern province, Southerners in the Southern province, Westerners in the Western province, and so on. So because of that, they didn't really interact with each other. So I think out of that, they then created assumptions. Let's say one Bemba person meets a Tonga person and their experience with that person was that that person was selfish. Then they go with it and now everyone, they just go around saying, no, Tonga people are selfish. So now everyone, and it's continued now because there are actually even some people who would tell their children, oh, so, so don't marry a person from that clan because they're like this and so on and so forth. So I think that's how all of this started. And then now we, we found that when Kaunda came into power, he, tr he tried his best to encourage one Zambia, one nation and mixing of tribes. So then you'll find that people from Northern province were being posted to Western province, people from the Copper Belt province were being posted to Lusaka. And then he created all these hubs that Copper Belt province were going to mine there. So lots of people were going there and you have a mixture of cultures there. And especially in Lusaka, we literally have every tribe in Lusaka. It's just like the boiling pot of tribes. So I think in that maybe people still have biases. Other people have been enlightened and realized that no, surely not everyone can be like this. You know, through their interactions with people, they find that this Tonga person maybe likes one thing and the other Tonga person doesn't. So we're not monolithic beings. I think we then begin to understand that. But there are some people who still persist on sticking to it. I was told this and this is how it is. No, members are like this. Easterners are like this. And I think it continues then because you share these things. You don't just keep it in yourself. You tell people, oh, wait, me, in my experience, I've seen this person behaves like that. So surely everyone from their tribe behaves in that manner. So I think that's where all of that started. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in your book, you, you talk about how with tribalism, it's very difficult to also separate it from politics. And I can't help but wonder, you know, um, when our first president, um, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda, was, was stepping down, I think there was a deliberate action to move and separate from all that he represented, you know? Mm -hmm. So he was very strong on one Zambia, one nation, you know? He was very strong on all of those foundations that he had put. But I feel like when people, when the people who came next were coming in, they were trying to separate from that. And I think in the process also, they, they instead of saying, oh, what were the good things that were from his, you know, his leadership and let's continue it. They just said, oh, we're just going to throw the baby outside with the bathwater, you know, mm -hmm. and throw everything out. <laughs> yeah. instead of saying, okay, you know, this is something that's actually positive, Let's try and maintain it. You know what I mean? Um, and I find it very, uh, I find it frustrating because, you know, in the last chapter, you're talking about um, how our generation is the generation that's going to make a change. And you gave some wonderful examples of um, individuals that are out there that are, um, that are pushing for anti-tribalism, right? But I cannot help but think that if it cannot come from the top, then mm. that 
for it to spread across the nation is going to take that much longer. It's going to be that much slower. And there needs to be, there needs to come a point where we we have leaders that come in and say, listen, I am a leader of all people and not a leader of some. And I and whatever I am going to promote is going to be for the benefit of everyone, you know, mm-hmm. and to be able to really pull together instead of just saying, some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you want to add anything to that. No, I completely agree. In my last chapter, I actually talk about that. I say I can picture the president interrupting, you know, everything that's going on and saying, can we actually be one Zambia, one nation? I do think presidents are influential. If the president today says, for example, in one answer's time, he said there should be no violence during elections. There should be no violence at all. And it actually was seen. People stopped being violent. There's so many things you can put in place, making sure that the police are on it. They are checking and making sure. So I definitely think that if people in leadership are speaking against anti-tribalism or just promoting oneness, it would, would definitely, definitely see people across the board being influenced by it. But instead, what we find is you have politicians who... I speak of a politician in my book. I don't give their name, but anyone who's in Zambia will know who I'm talking about. I wrote this book in 2016. The things I spoke about him doing, he still does even during this election period. So I can only imagine if he chose to change the narrative. And, you know, why don't we put tribes aside? Why don't we just talk about each other? If you want to criticize a person, criticize them for themselves. Don't then label the whole clan or the whole tribe as doing that thing that that one person that you you don't agree with does. So I definitely, definitely, I I just really, I I will be so glad the day that I see politicians not mentioning tribes, especially with politics. You see it a lot. I I say, there's a quote in my book, I say, tribal, uh, so I, I say, Election time is when all the tribalist comments come out to play. Because when election's done, I don't think many people will go around saying, ah, awatonga, awatonga. But when you find that it's election time, that's when you're hearing all these things. If this person wins, there'll be cows in Lusaka. If that person wins, there'll be this and this. I mean, surely, I mean, I, I don't even understand where all of this comes from. It's just um, weird stereotypes. But I would definitely love to see people in power challenging it and encouraging oneness it would be for me i think i would be so content yeah there's a a quote which you said and (laughs) i am going to paraphrase it uh Mm. which really struck a chord with me um you said you know when something to the effect of when we continue to promote um you know tribalism we are ignoring the signs of a civil war like in yeah. in the distance like pending mm-hmm. looming you know what i mean mm-hmm. and And, you know, you also gave examples of how, um, you know, whether it's in Rwanda or Zimbabwe, how they experienced civil wars. And Mm -hmm. it also made me think about a recent interview that I had with Mente Waya, and she's from Liberia. 
And mm-hmm. in 1990, when the war broke out, mm-hmm. she was seven years old and her family literally, um, you know, like literally it was just chaos. You know, one day, let's say it's Sunday. Sunday was great. You went to church, you know, you did everything normal. Then on Monday, it just flipped with a drop of a dime. Like, you know, literally her parents just lifted them up with their pajamas and they had to run, you know. The parents told them that, oh, this is going to last for a week, but they walked for two years until they found safety. You understand? Like, I I don't understand why people take peace for granted. And I don't understand why they think that because something happened in another country, we are immune as Zambia Mm -hmm. and it won't happen because I mean, we have this wonderful reputation. Oh, Zambia is a peaceful country. You know, Um, when you, I, I mean, from 1964, um, we are a landlocked country. And if you look at the countries that surround us, they've had some sort of conflict um, over the years until now, right? So we get praised for, oh, Zambia is a peaceful country. But when we ignore signs like this and think that we are immune <laughs> yeah. to civil war, it's really, really scary. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I read that quote, I was just like, I I totally resonate with that because things mm-hmm. just change with the drop of a dime. Yeah, you don't even know fun. what can spark it, um, you know. And I, I wonder from you, what would you encourage um, an individual to do when it comes to their views about, you know, tribalism? Mm-hmm. Well, I would encourage people to go out and see there's a South African proverb that says, Ukuhamba kukubona, which translates into those who travel see things. But another translation is traveling opens windows to the, wo- to the world. So um, in an interview that I was in yesterday on Spring TV, we're actually talking about how if you travel, if I, let's say, for example, live in Osaka and I've never been to Mansa, for example, if I went to Mansa and stayed there even for a week, interacted with the people, got to know their language, saw how they do things, it would give me perspective into their culture. And when you do that, you grow. So really just interact with cultures. Don't be biased. Have an open mind when you're chatting with people. If someone tells you they're Lubali, for example, and you've never interacted with a Lubali person, ask them how they go about life, talk about their traditional practices, just get to know them, aside from their traditional practices, their personality, because they, they and other Lubale people may, may share the same traditional um, beliefs, but they are different people. We're we are not monolithic beings. We all think differently. We have different characters. We're all shaped and created in different forms. So just interact with people's cultures. But I would also just encourage people to, you know, we've got 73 tribes. Don't just stick to your English and your tribe. Try to interact with other people's tribes as well. Nelson Mandela said, when you speak to a man in his language, it hits better than when you speak to him in your own language. So for example, when I was in South Africa, my first year of university, I would speak to them in English because that's what I knew. I could not understand the cliques. I did not know what they were saying. But the next year, I learned the language, not to to everything, but I could be able to then say, Molo Mama, how are you? I could greet them. I could have small conversations. And that hits better than me constantly speaking to someone in my own tribe. 
So definitely interact with people, have an open mind. I, I give a story in my book of um, a situation at my dad's um, funeral where obviously I'm Bemba and Tonga. So obviously this, this funeral house is going to be mixed with Bemba and Tonga people. So someone was coming to use the bathroom, which is near my bedroom. And it was one of my maternal relatives, one of my Tonga relatives. So they were speaking to my one of my Bemba relatives and they said in Tonga, can I use the toilet? But you know, often in, when we speak in local languages, we still have those words that remain. Like kitchen, we still say kitchen. Toilet, we still say toilet. So she said, she spoke in Tonga, but she said the word toilet. And the person who responded actually responded in Bemba and said, which translates into, I, I can't understand what you're saying. I mean, surely if someone said, was speaking in French and they said toilet, you'd say toilet, English toilet, you translate, okay, they're asking for the toilet and you'll be able to even just point, even if you don't say it is there or your toilet, you apple. So it for me, when I saw that, and then the person looking for the toilet then responded in Bemba, my, my Tonga relative switched into Bemba and said, oh, okay. And then the other person walked away. I don't know which one of my relatives this was, but it really had me thinking that, you know, you, you, you get stuck in, no, it's almost like you feel like your language is superior. So don't talk to me in that other language. My mom has had this in our own home. She's Tonga. If she has family over, she'll be speaking in Tonga. And I've actually had my paternal relatives ask her, like in that language. So your language is the one she should speak. I mean, she doesn't even come from Northern province. Surely when she's talking to her aunties or her uncles, she's going to speak to them in Tonga. So you have things like that. Just have an open mind, learn the language. My grandfather is a great example. Um, my grandfather, he's, he's actually my great uncle. So my dad's uncle, but really he's, he's a grandfather to me. So he is married to a Lozi woman and he can speak fluent Lozi. And he learned this language while he was married to his wife. So he, for, for me, he, he really just does it. He's always encouraging us to speak in our local languages and all of that. So just open your mind, learn a new language. In fact, you're not even helping the other person. You're helping yourself because like I said, traveling opens your mind to the world. Experiencing other people's cultures enriches your knowledge. You're the one who's adding to yourself. So that's what I'd encourage people to do really. I find that um, the topic of language can be very sensitive um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, yes, you want to go and interact with people um, in their own language, but the reception you receive may True. not always be positive, you know? Okay. People will look at you like, oh, who is she trying to be? Like, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. and then it sort of puts you off to be like, well, should I really be trying to learn this when they're not even trying to encourage me? They're not even saying, you know what? To learn a language, you have to speak it. You will make mistakes, but then when somebody yes. corrects you, that's when you, you will get better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but people tend to just shut you down without the the grace to correct or just help you out, you know? So I find that it can be very off-putting for some people to learn. And, um, you know, I... And, I know, I know personally, uh, my own personal experience with languages is <laughs> mm-hmm. very, um, very interesting. And I think mm-hmm. there's also a lot of shame that is also attached to that, you know, because mm-hmm. when I was growing up, the language that we learned was the language that we spoke in the house was English. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I even remember when I was in high school, the I was at a boarding school. And at that time, you know, they said, well, you cannot be speaking um, any of the local languages. You can only speak English, you know. Mm -hmm. So even if you spoke a local language, you would be punished. Like you'd actually be punished for speaking a local language. And the, you know, that already attaches a lot of shame to, to, you know, your cow, your your culture and your culture and your heritage or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I found myself in this predicament where I'm speaking like I speak English. Like English is my my language, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my first language. That's the one that I know. But then I don't speak the local languages. Mm-hmm. So then I also then get a lot of backlash because mm-hmm. oh who does she think she is? She doesn't speak local languages. Um, and I think that when it comes to languages, there's a lot of people that find themselves having a lot of barriers of entry into just um, being accepted um, into different communities and different levels of community because of these barriers. So mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder if there is a way or if it's possible <laughs> for people to really, you know, even it's, it's really what you're saying is just accept people for who they are. You don't know what their background was. Yeah. You don't know how they grew up. And I wouldn't say like, it's my fault that I don't speak the local languages and stuff, mm-hmm. but that's just what it is, you know? Yeah. But then people will try and make you feel lesser than like, Oh, you're not, yeah. you're not, you're not, Zambian enough, or whatever it is, you know what I mean? And yeah, anyway, I don't know. What do you think about that? I completely agree. I can relate to what you're saying. For me, and I speak about this in the book, I also grew up speaking English. Um, And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because my parents had two different tribes, but my mom sometimes speaks to me in Tonga. My dad never spoke to me in Bemba, but my parents would speak to each other in Bemba. So definitely I have grown up around all these languages. My mom's sister was married to a Lozi man. So my, who I call my siblings, well, first cousins, they speak Lozi. So I've grown up around all these language, languages, people from the Eastern province and so on and so forth, Lunda people and all of that. But I predominantly, predominantly used to speak English. In school, we could only speak English or French. So in primary, there was, you can't speak English. You can't speak local languages. In high school, it was, you can only speak English or French. And my granddad is very against that. He's always saying, why should you tell people not to speak in their language? I definitely think it, it creates a complex because then you have people who don't want to speak local languages just because they don't want to be perceived as low for example. But definitely, I, I definitely think we should be proud of our culture. You go to South Africa, very few people actually be speaking English. They speak their language. If you're Zulu, you're speaking Zulu, you're Kosa, you're speaking Kosa, you're Afrikaans, you're speaking Afrikaans, you're Sutu, and so on and so forth. So there's definitely that. I think even as part of our culture, a culture that's growing, especially among people our age, there was a point, I think it still goes on, where people will for, there was a trend where people would show, for example, a white baby and say baby, and then a, a seemingly ugly, you know, baby, and they would say umwana. So it's things like that, which we've now internalized, a part of your own culture, and now you're using it to insult people, but really insulting yourself. 
because you're insulting your language and making your language look like it's less than. So I definitely agree with you. For me, I grew up like, I, I would try to speak Bemba. Obviously, when I go to see my dad's relatives, I have to speak Bemba. My mom's relatives are trying to speak Tonga. And there's a lot of encouragement on both sides, but you, you often get that person who will make fun of you for saying the wrong thing. So for me, that took me aback and I stopped speaking Bemba for a very long time. But I just figured that, you know, this is part of my language. If someone who doesn't know English can come to me and we can actually have a conversation in English, why shouldn't I try to speak my language? I may not be speaking it perfectly, but it is mine. It is native to me and I'm going to embrace it. So I can't, and I talk about this, I talk about the languages I speak in my book as well, because that's part of my identity. So I will speak the little Tonga that I know and the little Bemba and the little Nyanja and all of these languages. And I'll be able to, you know, progress in life because then I can experience people's cultures by interacting with them in the language that they can understand. Yeah. Yeah, if when you're talking about, you know, that comparison of, you know, like, oh, a baby and woman, mm. I'm just like, you know, what? I can't mm. deal with people. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly yeah. can't deal with people. I mean, even like in high school, if you just made a mistake, like in the way you said the word, my God, the whole class yes. will be laughing yes. at you, yeah. you know, and it's just... You know, you ha- like you said, it co- it creates this complex in people where they're just thinking, well, I don't know, maybe I'm the superior one. And then the people that are speaking mm-hmm. the local languages are thinking, oh, okay, maybe we are lesser than the yes. people that can speak English. Definitely. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's yeah. just not the case. You are yeah. more valuable. It doesn't mean that because mm-hmm. you can speak English that, oh, you're more intelligent than somebody else. I that's like far from the truth. But then that's, that's, that's the way that, you know, these different systems that they put in place, um, those are the effects that they had in the long run, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, and like you're saying, um, there's a lot of unlearning to happen. (laughs) But I, I, yeah, I think even as an individual, you sort of have to realize and acknowledge that there will be resistance, right? So whether it's you trying to learn that language, you will find that one person who's going to bully you about it, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, whether you you want to embrace every single person, regardless of their tribe, or whatever, there's still going to be that resistance. But knowing that and still pu- pushing ahead, I think is mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. Um and just being resilient in it. And I think the more people that can join the bandwagon, then mm-hmm. um, the better, you know? I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I just wanted to just um, just get a little bit of a sense of, okay, so you, how long did it take you to write the book? And then um, what has been the, you know, publishing journey like for you? Yeah. Um, so I wrote the book in my second year. I think it took me about two months. I would literally go to class, come back, sit in the common room and type. And when I finished, um, initially my parents, when I told them I wanted to write a book, they said they would pay for the book. When I finished, after some months, I came back, got a quotation, and then my dad said, no, you'd like it better if you publish it yourself. So I had to go through a process of um, saving up for it. I would save pocket money. I started spending less. I was saving my money when I'd work because I'd, I freelanced and I used to work for the post as well. So <clears throat> I went through that whole process. Then when I finally had the money, which was in 2019, I decided I had just finished university. Well, not just, but I was fresh out of university. 
when I wrote the book initially, I was in my second year. So by the time I had the money, my writing skills had improved because um, I studied English and English literature and my other degree is in journalism and media studies with a specialization in writing and editing. So my writing had immensely improved. So I edited some bits of it. When I finally finished with that, that was last year, um, I, I got the same, the same publisher I was going to use in 2016. We started the process of editing with someone else, another editor, typesetting it, he did it, and then um, getting the book cover changed. So initially I had drawn the cover, but um, I showed it to a friend and he said, no, the, the message is too strong for what this cover looks like. So we quickly changed that as well. Then I was swindled um, <laughs> by my publisher. Yeah, I had paid him in full and he literally just took my money and went quiet for the longest time. Initially, he was um, he had every excuse in the book. My mom is sick. My dad is sick. My brother's sick. And then he just went quiet. And I had so many numbers of his and I couldn't reach him. Went to the police. It's been a long process that hasn't even finished. Then I had to get another publisher. So I had to now pay double. So it's been a learning process. <laughs> I've had to pay double for these books um, and from my own pocket. So I had to save and all of that. But it's been a learning process as well. I hope the next time I'm publishing, I won't go through this again. But it's also, I think we, we have experiences in life to grow us. So there's a reason why this happened. Also, I love storytelling. So I'm glad that I have an interesting story to tell at the end of the day, rather than just saying, oh, everything was perfect and all of that. No, it, it, it was a real roller coaster. And it took me five whole years to finally get this done. So, yeah. And I think everything works out for the good of the Lord because in, initially I was really, I was disappointed when my parents said, you pay for it yourself. When I got the money, I was disappointed that it took forever. I was disappointed that I was swindled, but I, I released the book exactly a month before election period. And what I talk about in the book is very relevant to elections and oneness. So I'm so glad that, um, you know, even the way the book was received, it just really shows that God really has a plan for us. We may be getting impatient with everything, but really at the end of the day, you just see that everything has actually worked out better. I'm so glad that it's being released now because even small things like the release video that I had to do, if I had published this book in 2016, I wouldn't have had such a cool video because I only met the person who did the video two years ago. So really everything works out. You just have to trust the process, trust in the Lord and trust that he's got your back. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just really glad at the end of the day. That is a beautiful place for us to come to uh, an end of this conversation. Um, but before we do really wrap up, um, the Africana woman community, we have a little saying that says, know your roots, grow your purpose. And I have some questions for you there. I don't, I don't want to say that quick fire <laughs> because, you know, like whatever comes into your mind, you can say it. And then if you want to expand on it, please do. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, great. So the first question, what are you rooted to? I think I'm rooted to my being Zambian. I'm rooted to patriotism and I'm rooted in being, I'm rooted in our national motto, one Zambia, one nation. Yes. 
Okay, what's your favorite way to nourish your mind, your body, and your soul? Um, by listening to the word of God, <laughs> sermons, listening to music, worship mostly. I also like Afrobeats, um, dancing, interacting with, with family and friends. That's very fulfilling to my soul. Yeah. And then do you have a weakness that has now become your superpower? Being emotional. Um, I'm very emotional. I've been like, since I was a kid, I'm like really emotional. But I think out of my emotion, passion has grown. Because, um, for example, if I see someone being prejudiced towards someone and it really hurts me, I've now taken it. It's my passion. I'm going to do, what am I going to do about it? My dad, before he died, would always ask me, every time I'd complain to him, he used to ask me one simple question. What are you going to do about it? And because of that, I have now grown into a person who, if I don't like something, even if it's just an advertisement, there's a company that does like, they're all over with adverts in Lusaka. I won't mention them. And because I studied journalism, but even before I studied journalism, I used to think that's such a bad advert. So when I grow up, I'm going to make sure I create good ads. So even now, um, out of that question, my dad asked me, what are you going to do about it? I actually reached the point where I wrote to a, an advertising company and said, your adverts are bad. And I analyzed them. I told them which advert was good. And I analyzed the ones that were bad, suggested how they can change them. And they actually used my ideas and called me in for a meeting. So definitely out of my emotion is passion and I'm, I'm ready to just go out and do something about it. I know that sitting back in my home and complaining won't do anything. So it's the same with my book. I can't just say no tribalism is bad. No, write about it, tell people, encourage them and dissuade them from engaging with it. So yes. Lovely. What do you know as a certainty? That God's got my back. Awesome. Mono, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Um, please let the audience know how they can reach you, where they can find you, how they can buy the book. Are there any projects that you're working on right now that we can support you with? Tell us. Okay. So you can find me on Instagram at Mutolankani, or if you type in Mono Chungu, I'll pop up. You can find me on Facebook at Mono Chungu. I also have a page called Mono Namwizye Chungu. So you can find me there if you'd like to get the book. It's 150 kwacha. Just message me and we will arrange to meet for your collection or your delivery. Um, yes, that's the book. <laughs> Um, currently, I guess that's the only project I'm working on aside from my actual work as a professional. So yes, please do support me, get the book. I hope it will be, it will be a blessing to you. I hope it will encourage you. And yeah, basically that's all. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time. Thank you. Zambia, the youth have spoken. They are looking past tribes and can see a Zambia that is better for all her people. So whether you agree or not, you are now at a crossroads. Will you look at the humanity in others or will you stick to your beliefs? No one is expecting you to change overnight. We are saying at least try. Try to be open to learning about others. 
Like Mono said, we are not monolithic. Just because you encountered that one person who displayed a negative trait does not mean you can apply it to a whole group of people. I will say it again. One Zambia, one nation. What a legacy. Please find Mono on social media at Mutola underscore Nkani. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast and just say thank you. And I always want to say thank you, dear listener, for making us part of your day and listening in. I truly appreciate you. If you liked this episode, please do share it with a friend. In fact, I'm giving you an assignment. (laughs) Listen, go and play it for your parents and your grandparents. Listen to it with them and then have a conversation. All right. So you can find me on Instagram at Chulu by Design. Say hello. I always respond. Until next week, I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Ulendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.ulendocreative.com.